John 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. Anybody like to fish? A few of you. Simon Peter is going to go back to fishing. After Jesus has been resurrected, everything has changed. They say to him, well, we'll go with you. I don't have anything else to do. Jesus isn't around right now. He's been crucified and resurrected. And they went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that, and that night, they caught nothing. Everybody say nothing. It's not good whenever you get nothing done, especially when you spend all night doing it. And so they went forth and they did what they knew to do. These were professional fishermen. And still, they did not succeed. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew what to do, but it didn't work? That's the situation that's going on. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loves said unto Peter, It is the Lord. It is the Lord. Because only the Lord could do that. Only the Lord could take us from one side of the boat with nothing, walk us ten feet, and catch so much that the boat wanted to sink. I want to tell you that there's going to be some things that happen in your life where you're, you're scratching your head. You used all your talent, all your skills, all your training, and you got nothing. And God will speak a word to you, and you will seemingly move very little and do what the Lord says. If you obey the Lord in that word, you will bring forth a harvest, and you and no one in your life will be able to say that you were doing it because you got nothing all night. But when you walked over and obeyed the Lord and did the word of the Lord, you can only say it was the Lord that did it. Anybody know it was the Lord that touched your life? It was the Lord that moved on you. It was the Lord that gave you a word in a season when you needed it. And that word changed everything. I want to talk to you for a little while about a little simple subject. I won't be long. But I want to just kind of pick up where Peter was, where he said, I, I got nothing. And I want to title this. If you would turn to your neighbor and tell him my title, tell him, I can't, but I know a guy. I can't, but I know a guy. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. See, it wasn't a lack of skill that day. It wasn't a lack of boat. It wasn't a lack of tools. It wasn't a lack of training. Sometimes we think when we fail at something that it's because we were insufficient. But this is a situation where everything should have worked, but it didn't. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you knew what to do, you knew how to do it? Everything was set up for success, but for some reason you ended up with nothing at the end of the day. So it was a, wasn't a lack of skill. I personally, if I could take a personal moment, I was buying a van this week for a business venture, and 
I bought it from an individual, and I noticed that there was a little spot of rust on it, and I called him back, and I said, hey, do you have a place where I can go and get this treated? I need this to get treated. This is going to be a van for business. And he's like, you know what? Let me get back to you. I'm going to check. I don't know personally, but I know somebody that might know somebody. I was like, okay. So he gets back to me. He goes, I looked around, and I know a guy. And he gave me a phone number to call somebody. He didn't have what he needed, but he was able to get what he needed by knowing somebody that could do it. I personally am, like, not very skilled at home. I promise you, if, you are any, if you're good with a drill or anything like that, you're probably better at it than I am. I'm, I'm okay with other things, but I'm not real good. I can play drums. I can do music, but I can't do uh, too many handyman projects. In fact, if I start them, the, the DIY stuff or do-it-yourself uh, stuff it ends up turning out a whole lot different than, they, than it turned out in the YouTube video. Like, I'll start it, and I'll get halfway through it, and then I'll go look at the video again, and it doesn't look anything like what I was planning for it to look like. And so then I get frustrated, and then I have projects that just sit because they're only half done, and they're not going to be what they need to be. And it's just not going to give them glory uh, to finish those projects. So my wife is like, let me do that project let me paint that wall. Let me do these things. And so I found out that in my life that I will get frustrated trying to do things that I'm not really skilled at. But if I know somebody that can do it, I can call them and have them come and they'll do it just as, just like it needs to be done. And so I'm telling you that I may have a lack of skill in some areas and I'm like, well, but I know a guy. I know somebody I can call to do the job. But this wasn't a lack of skill. This wasn't a lack of their capabilities. They went back to fishing because that's what they knew after Jesus was gone. And so as you set up here the story, I want to tell you that Jesus was not mincing words with them. He did not show up soft, a soft open. He didn't like lean slowly into a conversation about how horrible the night was and how they got nothing for fish. Professional fishers catching nothing. He shows up and he says, he directly attacks the very thing that could be the hardest in their moment, in their life at that moment. He didn't mince words. He goes, you have any fish? Do you think professional fishermen want to talk about catching nothing? Probably not. Are there some areas in your life where Jesus shows up and he wants to talk about things? (laughs) And you don't really want to talk about those with the Lord? Or he brings some things up in your life that maybe you need to change. And, and I, I believe me, I know, I've been there. But he will show up and he'll speak directly to the thing that's in your life. The woman that was at the well, remember that little lady? She had several that were with her and then the one she was with wasn't her husband. And she's going to the well in the middle of the day so that she doesn't go with the women of the city because she's a scarlet letter. She's a woman that was considered to be less than And she goes to the well, but Jesus sends all the other disciples away so that their prejudice will not keep ministry from happening. And he sits down on the well, a well sitting on the well. I love that. And so he sits down on the well, and he waits for this woman to come, has nothing to give except for she's coming to get water. And he looks at her, and while she has nothing to give, he gives her the story of her life immediately. He doesn't wait he doesn't say, you know, you've been, with, you've been with five and the one you're with now, the sixth one is not even your husband. He doesn't mince words. He goes right in 
and begins to tell her about what's going on in her life because he knows how to speak the truth in love. Whenever Jesus is sitting on a well talking to a Samaritan, she knows a rabbi is never supposed to talk to a Samaritan. In fact, they would go all the way around the city to try to keep from talking to them. But he loved her so much, he's like, I can't leave you in the things that are broken. Amen. Somebody would tell you that you could be too broken for Jesus. I deny that claim in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that word in the name of Jesus. There's no broken too broken for Jesus. She was a picture of broken. And he shows up and he says, give me to drink. He's like, you don't have a water pot. How, how are you going to get water? And she's like, he's like, well, this water is going to make you thirst again. But the water that I have, I'm going to give you living water. And out of your belly shall flow living water. And you can, you can just read the story sometime and you understand that when she left that place, she was so full and so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that she ran into the city. And the first evangelist to Samaria was a little woman. It wasn't Philip. It was a little woman that ran into the city and said, come see a man who told me everything that I was. Is this not the Messiah? She said, I can't get out of my situation. I can't change who I am, but I know a guy. I just met somebody at the well, and he's going to forever change who I am. In fact, she started a revival in Samaria that Philip, when he went in, capitalized on because the word had already gone forth, so the revival could happen when Philip showed up. God will always send a word to change things before it happens. And so God knows how to send a little lady into Samaria to start a revival that God is going to capture and capitalize on with Philip. Little blind Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road. Sir, if you give me my coat, I'm sorry. I need my coat. And so he's sitting on the side of the road begging as he does every single day. And he has his coat on. His coat says a whole lot more about him than you might realize because in their culture and in their times, the clothing that they wore told you who they were. You could spot shepherds from a distance. You could spot royalty from a distance. You could spot a, a smith or an iron worker from a distance. And his coat was ragged and it was torn. And it wasn't just a coat to keep him warm. It's a coat that said, I'm a blind beggar and I'm always going to be a blind beggar. And so when he got the news that Jesus was passing through Jericho and that the, the disciples were with him and there was a great crowd following him, he knew much about crowds. He could hear and he could understand the movement of the crowd. And he heard that Jesus could heal blinded eyes and that he couldn't. He didn't have the ability to go to a doctor or to fix what was wrong with him, but he knew a guy. He had heard of a man named Jesus of Nazareth who could heal blinded eyes. So he began to cry out, David, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And you know the story, right? They, they all like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take that much. You don't have to get that excited, preacher. You don't have to get ex that excited for something from God. You don't have to make so much noise. You need to be more dignified. You need to just have an appointment with Jesus and take you and, and, and be taken to him. You're not, you're not welcome at the moment. He's busy. And, and he said, I, I'm not going to miss my moment. If I have to yell this, I will yell it. And his passion and his desire stopped the crowd. And Jesus
Jesus said, bring him to me. And so when he got up to go to Jesus, he didn't just get up and say, okay, I'm going to go see what the word is. I'm going to go see this God in flesh. I'm going to go see this word come to save us. He got up and he knew that this man, when he speaks, something's going to change. And so he got up and he took his coat off and he said, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen, but I have enough faith to believe that when he speaks or prays over me, everything's going to change because when God's word hits somebody's heart, they change. When God's word hits a life and faith, healing can happen. And so he took his coat off and he just tossed it in a pile on the edge of the road and he said, you know what? That coat says I'm a blind man, but that coat also says that I'm a blind beggar. And from the moment that I meet Jesus and he prays a word over me, I will never be a blind beggar anymore. I'm going to be forever changed. He had enough faith to believe that God's word could change him. Does anybody in here still believe when God's word speaks, things change? I believe that with all my heart. And you may be a first-time guest here, but I can tell you that if you feel anything in this room, you need to feel that this is what we learn our life to live. This is how we live our life. This is how we learn how to walk. And if you get in your word, whether devotion in the morning or devotion in the evening, or you read your Bible during the day when you're on your break in your car, every time you put this word in front of you, every time you read this word and get it into your heart, something has to change. It cannot stay the same. And even if you feel like you've done everything you know to do and nothing has come from it, I promise you when the word steps in, when Jesus walks into your life, he may say, why don't you do this? And if you obey it, God will bring forth a blessing in your life. Can I get an amen for that? So we're in the end of John and first of John, it starts with, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And that word was made manifest, who was Jesus Christ. And so we know that that word was spoken, even in creation. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And God said, let there be light. If you break atoms down to their smallest particle, it's called a cork. It's literally sound vibrating. When God created, he built the world on sound. You don't have to go with me if you, if you don't want to on that. You go, you go Google it. Atoms, positive and negative, break down to a cork, and a cork is simply just a sound molecule. Everything vibrates around you. Did you know that? Everything runs on sound. So now they're just finding out that you can heal yourself with sound waves. I don't want to get into that today. But I can tell you, there's people starting to find things out that the Word of God has already said so long ago. But he said a word, and that word created things. And that is the pattern from the beginning of time till now. And it's still working today because his word doesn't return void, like I said. Amen, somebody? In verse 14, we get in John 1, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and he beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Are you glad he was full of grace? Are you glad he was full of truth? In the Old Testament, it talks about a remnant coming back to God. I get to talk with my grandfather and other people at times. I was talking with Sarah's father last night, and he's like, the world is so different than whether they started to plant a church in the 70s and 60s. 
He said, how, how are you going to win this generation? I said, I don't know. But if in the Old Testament, without the power of the Holy Ghost poured out, they can have a remnant come to God, I believe there can be a highway for the remnant. I believe there can be a highway home. I believe God has enough grace. In fact, in the Old Testament, it says there is a highway like that, and it also talks about grace. And it says right after that verse, it says grace, grace, or grace squared. In other words, the grace that they knew all the way through the scriptures, when the remnant was going to come home, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to give double grace to get the remnant home. I believe that God is going to open up a, full, a God who is full of grace and truth. I believe he's going to open up new grace for people's lives. I believe we're going to see double grace, grace squared for the new and coming harvest, the people that have not met God yet but will meet God, the people that will run into truth. And Jesus is that truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so he's full of grace and truth, and I celebrate that. And grace is for our mistakes, and truth is for us to obey. Amen? So God shows his grace on all of us. One of the most striking areas of Scripture are examples of God showing that he wants us to obey, not just live in grace. That's lovely. But he wants us to obey his word is when Saul had taken, you know, all of the good things from the Amaleks, I believe is how you say their name. And he had, they were supposed to conquer these people and, and they were supposed to not take anything for themselves. But instead, Saul took things and he said, half the Lord Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings? He was like, we're going to take some of this stuff that we, we conquered the Amaleks, and we're going we're gonna to take some of this stuff, and we're going to go back, and we're going to offer them as sacrifices unto the Lord. And the Lord said, no, I would have rather you obey me than you offer me sacrifices. And sometimes we, we can offer the Lord sacrifices in our life. We can offer him things in our life, but God wants us to get into his word and learn how to obey his word even more. And he's been t talking a lot to me about this, this scripture that the Lord was speaking. He says, I would rather have you obey the, my voice. And he says this one statement, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, 1 Samuel 15, 22, and to hearken than the fat of rams. He's like, I don't want the sacrifices. I was never a God that wanted the death of, of all these animals. I'm a God who wanted reconciliation of my people. And the only way I could teach them to come back to me into relationship was to have some sort of pathway through redemption. And so it had to come through the lamb. And then Jesus came as the perfect lamb. And he died on that cross. And he didn't stay there. I know there's some places where you'll go this Sunday morning and there's still a Jesus hanging on the cross. But we don't believe the word stayed on the cross. We believe that he got off the cross. He went through the tomb and he rose again. Amen, somebody. And so that he was obedient unto death, that is our example, that we're to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And so as I'm trying to do projects at home and do other things, I've made a list of people I can call. And I found out that my faith can sometimes be like that. I feel like I don't have enough faith to do something, so I'll, I'll call somebody to encourage me or to speak a word into my life, and for some reason it builds me up, or I go to church on a Sunday morning and I hear a, a message and it, it gets me excited about the things of God. You should leave church happy. You should leave church happy. 
I, I really believe that. I, I grew up in a very strict religion where if we didn't feel like we were flogged before we left, we, we, didn't, we didn't have good church. The pastor needed to beat us up one side and down the other, tell us how we're all sinners headed straight to hell, and, and thank God for Jesus. That's, that's the kind of church I grew up in. But I believe today that God can literally move according to our faith and change things in our life. But we can't just be at the point of stopping when we run out of ourselves. We have to understand that when we get to our I can't, it's just God giving us an opportunity to let him do what he does best. And in fact, when you run into your empty quickly, you learn how to give yourself to God quicker so that he can fill you. You need to live in an overflow, brothers and sisters. You need to live in a constant filling of God in your life. That when you run into places where you can't go any further, I have been praying so much lately, Lord, help me. That's one of the greatest prayers you can pray. Lord, just help us. While I'm standing here and we're doing worship, I'm praying for this team that's leading worship. I'm like, Lord, help us. Move in this place. Be in this place. I have faith to believe that you're going to do something today, that you can change somebody's life through your word. And so Jesus is only marveled twice in the scriptures. He marveled once at the lack of faith, and he marveled once at the abundance of faith. And faith is not, I guess they're still downstairs right now, (laughs) so God bless them. But we will have faith that we either see as the beginning of our walk with God or we will see faith as a place of stopping. Like some people have enough faith to believe that they're going to be saved and that's where they stop. Salvation is a beginning place, brothers and sisters. It is a starting point. And when you start and you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in the lovely name of Jesus and you see things happening in your life and experiences that start coming your way and you start taking steps out in baptism and you start taking steps out in Bible study or you get into a life group or you do things that start to build your spiritual man with this word right here. I believe when you encounter this word, you encounter life. And when you start to build all of that, you start to put faith in your heart for things that you initially could not believe for. But as you put the word of God in your life. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. So you start to build yourself up to places where where you normally used to stop. Now you can go even further with God. Now you don't have so many I can'ts, but you know that God can help you. You you go further in your walk with God than you ever have before. And in Mark 6, 1 through 12, we'll jump to verse 6. He's in Nazareth and he marvels at the people, because they don't have faith. They're like, isn't this Jesus the carpenter? I mean, Peter in the boat could have said the same thing in our text today. He could have been like, yeah, we were out fishing all night. We're professional fishers. And Jesus is like, throw your net on the other side. And he's like, how about you stick to carpentry? We'll stick to the fishing. He could have easily said that. In fact, they fished in the night because it was cool and the fish would come up to the surface. In the daytime, fish wouldn't be at a net level. They wouldn't have received anything, but Jesus said, if you do this, you'll, you'll, if you have faith to obey my word, you will reap a harvest. And so Jesus was amazed. He's walking through Nazareth. He's trying to do miracles, and the Bible says that he couldn't do very many of them because they only saw him as Mary's son. They only saw him as Joseph's son, the carpenter's boy, and he marveled at Nazareth's mentality. And I wonder if a mentality can sneak into the church sometime 
where we believe God for salvation, but we don't believe God for anything further. I've got the rest of it. I can handle it. I'm never getting to a point. I'm never stretched to a point where I can't and I need him in my life. I wonder if we could move the Nazareth mentality completely out of this church and just say, Lord, if you want to do it, if you say it, I will obey it. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to step forward. I don't have the skill sets or the abilities. I don't even know how I'm going to get this done, but we're going to do it in Jesus' name. When we started this church, I'll be honest with you, we were so naive. We didn't know what we were doing. We just felt like God wanted to do something in our lives. And you don't know this, and I wouldn't tell the story if it hadn't been long enough, but we had a launch team that we started the church with, and we got about four months in, and our worship leader and, and one of the key members of our team decided, this, this is so hard. This is too hard. I can't do this. And we didn't have a truck. My wife and I didn't have a vehicle to haul the trailer with the speakers and everything in it. They did. They had the vehicle to haul the trailer. So we ended up having to park the trailer at the back of the parking lot at a hotel where we were renting space. We didn't know what we were doing. We just wanted to, we just wanted to see God do something great among people's hearts and lives. And so every Sunday morning, we had to push a trailer. And we, this, is, this is the normal Sunday morning for us. We didn't have a vehicle. We had to push a trailer from the back. This is Joey, and I, I probably shouldn't mention them because they're at another church right now. But anyways, this is us moving the trailer into position so we can unload it. We had to unload and load up every single Sunday in order to have church. But we loved what we were doing. We couldn't do it because we didn't have a vehicle to haul with. I went over to my father-in-law, and he stuck a hitch on the back of a day woo. I know, day what? It's a car, day woo. It's a Korean vehicle. He, he welded a hitch underneath the car, and the car couldn't handle it. So the car would drag like this, and I wasn't just dragging a trailer. I was dragging the car to boo the trailer around to the front. We did that all winter long just to get service done. We didn't have what we needed, but we knew a guy. We knew somebody that wanted to change hearts. We knew somebody that wanted to change children's lives. We knew somebody that would change our hearts and our trajectory and our steps if we would surrender our life to him. And it wasn't about us. It wasn't about how we did it. It's about who was going to show up. If we could just get God's presence in this place, we would leave here. And people would say, did you see those uneducated? Did you see those unprepared people? I don't know what they're doing, but they knew we had been with the Lord just like the disciples. They were uneducated, but they knew they had been with the Lord. If you do anything today, and if we leave here, we must be able to say, we have been with the Lord. I say, speak a word to us, Jesus. Speak a word. I don't want to marvel, God, with my lack of faith. I want to be like the people of Capernaum in Matthew 8, 5 through 12. And obviously, when you, when you jump through Scripture, it's hard to follow, but you can read this later. It's talking about the people that were in Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing village. It was... Jews and Gentiles. It was a place where this centurion man was, and a centurion man was 
he was over about 100 Roman soldiers. And he had a hunger that made a difference. And he met Jesus, and his servant was sick. He said, Jesus, my servant is sick, and I need you to heal him. And Jesus said, well, I'll go to your house. If Jesus offered to come to your house, would you let him? Be like, yeah, come on over. We, went, we were traveling in Bible college. We were doing some traveling and speaking, and we, they, would ha- they would house us at people's houses in the churches that we were speaking at. And we went to this one house, and we were going to stay in this lovely couple's house. And we went to their house, and we were going to have dinner. We all sat down, and there's one seat left open, and there's a plate there. And, and I'm like, is somebody joining us? And they're like, oh, no, we always leave a plate and a chair open for Jesus. <laughs> I was like, is that... That was foreign to me, like leaving a spot open for Jesus. I was like, well, that's cool. I would definitely leave room in my house for Jesus too. It was like something completely foreign to me. I never even thought of this idea of leaving a a space for Jesus. But if Jesus invited himself to your house, I think we would all say, yeah, come on over. And then you'd rush to your car and say, I'll meet you there in 10 minutes, and you'd do a 15-minute cleanup. You know you do it. You clean your house the best when someone's headed to your house. You know it. Unless you're one of those white glove people that loves everything clean and you have an apron that says Mrs. Clean on it and you go around the house, you're one of those people. But the rest of us rush home if Jesus was coming to our house and clean up. Jesus offered to come to his house and he said, the centurion soldier uh, said, no, no, you, you, you don't need to come to my house. I recognize that your word has authority. I recognize that your word has authority. All you need to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. He said, your word can travel from here and change something there. And so we are sitting in this room today and we're taking in the word of the Lord and we're thankful for that. But I pray that you understand that while you're here praying a prayer here, God can speak to your life and speak to your situation somewhere else and change things. Amen? And so he says, no, only say the word and my servant will be healed. I see the authority of heaven in you. So if my words cause soldiers to do what I say, then your words can heal my servant. He recognized authority. And so the second time in Scripture, you see Jesus marvel. How many would like to make the Lord marvel at your faith? How many would like to get up in the morning and not know how the day is going to go and say, God, I give you this day. However you want to use it, use me for your glory. I have faith to believe that I can change somebody's life or you can change situations. First in Nazareth, he marveled at their lack. But in Capernaum, because of their faith, he set up a base of ministry in that city. What if God set up something in your life where ministry flowed out of your life and out of your family and out of the things that you wanted to see him do? One word You can do it, Lord. Just speak the word. Everybody say, speak the word. I am thankful for this whole Bible. I am. But you only need one verse out of this Bible to change your life. You only need one word from God to change some things in your situation. If you would release God to do that in faith believing, there is nothing he cannot do for you. Amen?
Faith is not the beginning of salvation. God wants you to walk your way through this word and see it change your life. I release myself today. How about you? To believe God, not on who he said unto them who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. He's not, he's not a God who wants to maybe do something for you. He's a God who wants to work exceedingly abundantly for you. And so we look at the word of God and we say, how is this word going to change my life? But while you're reading it, it's reading you. Amen? And while you sit in your, I can't, I promise you, there's a word that can change it. Would you stand with me? 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world unto himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Look at Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Colossians 1.20-22. It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank God he went to that cross, but thank God he's not hanging on that cross anymore. Thank God he is the word alive forevermore. Amen. Once alienated, we were once alienated, once hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. I can't, I couldn't, I was unable to come out of where I was, but I, I know a guy that did it for me, amen? I did not carry my cross, he carried it for me because I couldn't, but I'm thankful that I knew a man, Christ Jesus. And he reconciled the world unto himself. Thank God for a reconciling Jesus. I want to pray over you today. If you'd bow your heads with me. Jesus. We know there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is a testimony to us that we know that our value is found in Jesus Christ. If there's anyone in this room today who is seeking their value in any place other than what you did for them, I quiet those voices in the name of Jesus. I quiet those curses by the blood of the Lamb. I remove any chains from lives and souls and minds. In the name of Jesus, you gave yourself for the redeeming of your people and so that we might be purified, God. So I pray today that somebody leaves their coat by Jericho's road and their eyes are open to the things you want to do in their life, that their faith is stretched as they believe, if I just walk to the other side of the boat, if I just obey your word today, God, you will release a blessing that I can't even contain in my life. Lord God, bring home the remnant. Bring home the prodigal. We leave the light on today for the prodigal to come home. I pray you extend grace upon grace in somebody's life today. In Jesus' precious name.
And everybody said amen. God bless you today. If you have to go, we love you. Remember, there's a place to give for turkey boxes. But I want to open this altar for somebody. Maybe you need to shrug off a proverbial coat of, of struggle and trial in your life and say, God, I'm going to leave this at the altar today. Just like the picture of this jacket here, maybe you need to come down here and just say, Lord, I give you myself again. Everything that was in the past is going to change if you just speak a word. This altar's open. Would you come and find a place to pray or pray with somebody in your pew? Just take their hand and say, Jesus, change their life. Jesus, speak a word to them because we know the word will change our lives. I can't. I can't. But I know a sweet Savior. I know a God who still does great things. I know a God who can take what I have left and can turn it all around. Give yourself to a moment of prayer in this place. In Jesus' name. You made your blood and my pain collide. Beautiful love, you are my king. You are the one, my everything. Now I run to you, cause you are all I need. Oh, beautiful love, you are my king. You are the one, you're my everything. Now I run to you cause you